Hello and welcome to Heroes Unmasked, staff stories from Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust with me, Caroline Verdon. Here's a question for you. What do champion fencers, award-winning sheep farmers and professional rugby players have to do with Leeds Teaching Hospitals? Answer? They all work for the hospitals. This series goes behind the scenes to meet directors, doctors, support staff and everyone in between to find out who the people behind the masks really are. Hello, I'm Caroline Verdon and welcome to episode seven. Uh, This week, I chatted to Esther Jamira. Now, she's the senior project nurse in the corporate nursing department. But what a lot of people don't realise is that she's also a published author. And no one was more surprised about this than Esther. The idea for the book, I think it literally came in June when I was writing a a staff network response to the death of George Floyd because our chief executive had written a response the week before. And I felt like as a network, we needed to also say something that would be shared organizationally. So I think it's during writing that that I said, we're going to write a book. If you've got a story, tell me. (laughs) So (laughs) so it it was just like that. But then I felt like, ooh, this thing is now in print. I have to make it happen. So it became like a self-challenge then to make it happen. But I think the more I shared with colleagues, the more I heard people saying, oh, it's a brilliant idea. We've got so many stories to tell that I think to have them in one document, it will be powerful. So I think that's what I've done. But um, I, I did not pass English at GCSEs. So I think I don't even know how I managed to pull it together. But I know that the year before, I think it was in the October of 2019, I happened to share with one of my colleagues here who I kind of call my mentor. There was a piece of business case we were meant to write and it has taken us maybe even a year to put it together. And I felt like what has held me back is lack of confidence in writing something meaningful in English to present to the execs. So I think then I was vulnerable with my colleague. I said, I know I should have done this business case over a year ago, and because I can't write, I've been waiting for someone who can write on my behalf. And so he said, what do you mean you can't write? Is that a limiting belief I'm hearing? So he more or less like changed. I'm like, I don't think I know you. (laughs) 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 But he really kind of uh, challenged me. And I know it was the 1st of October, 2019, And he said, from today, for the whole month, I want you to write a story to me every night. It doesn't matter what it is, just write. And so because of the way he was talking to me, he really was like very serious. And I was like, ah. (laughs) So so honestly, but, but I sensed that maybe there was a purpose in this challenge. So I... I took the challenge, but it took a lot of um, pushing myself to say, what to do, how do I even start? Uh, But I took the challenge through, and then at the end of October, which was the 30th of October, I was like, yay, I've done it. (laughs) So he's like, (laughs) 
He said, do you know it takes more than 30 days to build a habit? So I would want you to carry on. So I was like, oh, no. But for some reason, I did. Then I promised him that I will write something, maybe not every day, but I will try to put something together that is like a, a document. Then I started a piece of writing about discovering my purpose, which then, as I was pulling that together, I felt like I actually enjoy writing. I started really enjoying writing. So I think when I wrote in the piece I, I wrote to the trustee to say we're going to pull a book together, I was having a little bit of confidence that I can do it because I'd already been building myself to doing that. So I ended up packing this little writing project about my purpose and focused on uh, on George Floyd. Um, we call it George Floyd's book. It's Amplifying Voices, but it was written more in honour of uh, George Floyd. And so the book itself is filled with stories from staff of moments times, experiences that they've had where they have been mistreated? Um, I think they. it is largely that. But because the book, without us planning to be fair, it ended up being more or less 50-50, 50% stories from BME colleagues and 50% from white colleagues. So it's like a, a nice mix. So I think from BME colleagues, the message that comes very strongly is how the system seems not to be set up for them to win. And some of the challenges they they have to navigate day in, day out, whether it's to access uh, professional development courses, uh, whether it's to get a job, um, it's just like it's it's a tangible struggle to a point where some feel like managers purposefully block your progression. So what I hear is uh, managers are gatekeepers, <laughs> gatekeepers to my success. And the emotional and the physical pain that comes from that unfair treatment and discrimination and feeling like you are not being your authentic self in the workplace and, and feeling like you're operating way below your potential. It has got a lot of uh, emotional, psychological and physical pain uh, associated with it. So I think that's the main theme from BME colleagues. From white colleagues, I think the theme that stands out from the collection of stories is um, the acknowledgement that maybe they don't engage as much as they need to with their BME colleagues because they look different and we not naturally brought up to know how well to interact with people who look different from us. So I think that... Uh, lack of engagement, it creates an atmosphere in the in the workplace that those on the receiving end, it's, it's just not a, a, a nice feeling, but also fear of getting it wrong. People know very well that I'm not really stepping up as much as I need to, but it's this fear of getting it wrong that kind of stops people to engage properly 
and uh, also just the lack of awareness, like innocent lack of awareness that I did not know that, uh, you know, we are kind of operating on two worlds here. So I think those are the messages that come strongly. And when you talk about BME colleagues feeling as though everything is harder and it is harder for them to to have that progression, what's the difference? What 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 makes it harder? I think what makes it harder, people end up putting it down to the colour of their skin. That life is much harder because of the colour of my skin. So I think it's an acknowledgement that it's not to say for white colleagues, it's a straight path, no hurdles on the path, but the hurdle of having your skin colour being generally looked at as less than, because that's the perception that BMA colleagues have, that they're being seen as less than, uh, and from some of the white colleagues who are contributors, whose great-grandparents uh, were slave owners and owned the farms where the crop was being harvested by slaves, they also acknowledge that they were hearing it uh, within their families, uh, being told that black people are inferior. So when you come into a workplace where that's the perception that you are inferior, whether we like it or not. That's how society, when we look back in the hundreds of years back, black people were used as slaves. And you can only be used as a slave if people consider you to not be worthy of anything else. I think that's... Um, the gist of it is people think the color of my skin is creating a huge barrier. So it makes life that little bit harder. Um, and and the, for some people, I think then it's about when you break down your culture and the color of your skin and where you come from, then there are other hurdles like your accent. <laughs> and, and I've had managers saying, I really struggle to understand that. So I haven't got it as a, a, a fact because I haven't got data to prove that. But from the conversations I have with people, you wouldn't want to employ maybe someone as your deputy manager helping you to manage a team if you are not going to understand each other very well all the time. It's a struggle to hear each other. So accent, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. And just those cultural differences that make us sometimes perceive what's normal for other people as if it's not quite normal. So, for example, in interviews, if I was to look down, the British culture will tend to think you're, you're being shy, you're less confident, or you're not telling me the truth. Whereas where I come from, if I look at you in the eye, then that's disrespectful. So when you're talking to someone senior than you, if I look down, I'm actually highly honoring you. But if there is no awareness of these cultural differences, then things are going to be perceived not what they actually are. That's fascinating. That's really fascinating because I didn't, I didn't know that at all. And I think you pick up 
signs and signals without realising. So it's really interesting to think about the number of times and different situations that perhaps we have misinterpreted situations because we've expected everybody to have the same understanding of, like you say, eye, eye movement, you know, gestures as we have and how huge a gap that can make to your perception of a person. Definitely. So I think that's a huge a huge deal in, in terms of really awareness of cultural differences. So imagine if people, they are not perceiving you, how you are coming across, you are already black, that sticks out. <laughs> and then you are looking down. <laughs> That's just like, you're just even lowering your, 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 your score. So I think that's one thing, but I think within the organization, it's something we the conversations are happening openly and and we're hoping that we are on the right track to, to learn more about each other. So we, we've got a program we call Reciprocal Mentoring where we are pairing the exec team with people on the ground who are BME to just learn about each other. I was in the first cohort of reciprocal mentoring and the, the senior executives who were there were like, this organization does not feel like the organization I knew because what they're hearing, it's miles apart from what they knew and just to understand each other. But we need to be starting from a place of seeing ourselves as we are the same. We are human. We are all the same. So I think we still have some work to do there so that because if we see each other as of equal value, the chances are we'll treat each other much better. You've um, <clears throat> you've really made me think about things um, because obviously, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a white woman. I've got a lot of white privilege and I've, you know, I'm very much aware of that. But, you know, I was brought up in an environment where I learned from the get-go everybody was equal. And yeah, I truly believe we're all equal, doesn't matter about the colour of our skin. And and that's how my husband and I bring our kids up. You know, in 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 my circle, there would be few things that would be worse than being perceived as racist. It is, you know, the lowest of the low. You do not want to be racist. And I think almost for that reason, it can make it hard to see those traits in ourselves when they're unconscious and subconscious you know you've made me think about these gestures that are cultural that I had no idea about that could mean that I am misinterpreting things about different people and that actually it's not enough to just try and treat people equally that isn't going to solve the divide instead as individuals you know yes corporately too, but also as individuals, we need to take the time to learn about these things and to have open conversations. Yeah. And I think you're right, because I think the work really to change the system need to happen on an individual level. The system can do something, but I think what's needed is a transformation from within and a policy is not going to change your mindset. If anything, it's difficult to follow rules and regulations. <laughs> so I think it needs to be from kind of from within. But for that to happen, I think it's exposure we need to have with people who don't look like us. And I think it's an open mind as well, because 
sometimes you see things and everything within you is resisting that thing you are noticing. And partly I think it's fine because someone called, told me that it's called cognitive dissonance. You know, when you've got certain values that are not aligning with what you believe to be the perfect world we, we think it should be. But I think exposure and talking and talking and talking to, to each other, but without, I call it, it's like a stepping out outside our comfort zone because it's not going to be comfortable where we are putting ourselves to. But I think once we've crossed that boundary of being okay with the discomfort, I think it creates massive growth and, and, and opportunity and innovation and resilience. So there's a program I've introduced for managers and one of the sessions is called Discomfort as Growth. <laughs> so I, I push people like through where you feel like it's, it's kind of unraveling everything you believe and think, but just creating a space that say it's okay. Um, we will be fine. And what does the future look like for you? What are your aspirations for what this project will achieve? I think my aspiration is um, one to say the organisation fully understands, like there's no one with doubt. <laughs> of course, that will take a, a, a while. But I think my aspiration is, especially with the the book, it's to bring people to a mutual understanding that this is what we are dealing with and that there's no one to blame for it because we were brought into this, like we talked about, it is what it is. It's, it's the society, it's, it's the world. But I think just that recognition that we do not have to let history continue the way it was. It's within our power to, to change things. So I think that mutual understanding because I think from our BME colleagues, I also want them to understand that it's not because our white colleagues do not like us, <laughs> isn't it? But to understand that they've got these fears that I've highlighted earlier, fear of getting it wrong, you know, just not knowing you want to do things, you know, they are safe and they're not going to worsen things. So from ethnic minority staff, they won't look at our white colleagues like they don't care, which sometimes that's the view that comes to say, do you really care about my experience? But if I know that you care, but you've got fears that are holding you back, then we can, we can meet halfway. And when we meet halfway, even if it's messy, it's uncomfortable, we acknowledge that that's part of the process. And that was my chat with Esther Jamira, the senior project nurse in the corporate nursing department at Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust, and also a published author. Now, to make sure you don't miss out on next week's episode, do click follow, give us a rating, give us a review as well, because next week we're speaking to Karen Mitchell. She's the head of corporate and health records at Leeds Teaching Hospitals. And what most people don't realise about her is that she's worked all over the world but has chosen to settle in the UK. Heroes Unmasked is an under-the-mast audio production.